0: You to be there. All right. This morning, uh, we want to pick back up on our series. We've called "Only God." A few years ago, I was at the store, and uh, this lady came up to me, and she she said, "Well, hey," and she's looked at me. How have you been? And and I looked at her, and I was struggling to find out how I would answer her because I'm staring at her, and I'm thinking who is she, who is she, who is she, who is she, do I know her, I know I know her, no I don't know her, who is she, and my brain is staring into her cranium trying to look inside her brain and find out, who is she, what, you might not know, look, pastors have this experience sometimes, where where we have people that know us and we don't know them, or you know, it's like this, and so I'm thinking, oh no, oh no, I've got to remember who she is, and finally I just broke down and gave in and said, I'm so sorry, please forgive me, I don't recognize you. And and she said, "Uh, you're Sean, right? And I said, no, uh, you're Tom's friend. No, no, not that I don't know Tom, not that I know of. And she said, well, I have a friend in Hoover who who looks just like you. You sure you're not Sean? No, no, I'm not not Sean. She said, I'm so sorry. And so here's the moral of that story. If I ever don't wave when you wave at me, or if I'm doing something that looks questionable to you, it's probably not me, it's the guy in Hoover. I just need you to know that. All right? So, so let's just go ahead and get that straight. But that silly little story reminds me of all the little occurrences we have in life, and we all have them. That's the, a silly example. Of where we, we miscommunicate, we misunderstand. We pass each other. Sometimes in the worst circumstances, we hurt each other, and, and I guess in the worst circumstances, we do it on purpose. And, and so there's this element of human, human suffering that we inflict on each other. And every one of us have been in the, in the experience where we have a choice to make on whether we're gonna forgive someone for what they did wrong to us or not. Everybody's had that experience. It is universal. There's no one on earth that hasn't been hurt by somebody else. And so we have that decision to make, what are we going to do with that? Now, this morning, uh, I'm going to continue this series we've called Only God, and we're going to say Only God Heals. So this whole series, this is the third week, you can get the other two weeks on the podcast if, if you haven't got them yet. But we've been talking about what are the things that only God can do. There are some things that are uniquely, uh, that God has the unique ability to do that we don't have the ability to do outside of Him. And so the first week we said only God calls. Last week we said only God redeems. And and this week I just want to share only God heals. Now we've been looking through the story of, um, we've been finding these only God moments through the life of Joseph. And so, for those of you who missed the last few messages, or maybe you're a guest today, let me just kind of catch you up on some background on who Joseph was, and why why we've been finding these moments in Joseph's life. Joseph had every right to be bitter. The jealousy among his brothers had gotten out of hand, they plotted to kill him, but not all of them were for it, so they compromised and they just sold him uh, to a slave owner, and There he was, betrayed by his family. Now, betrayal is one of the greatest pains we can feel. To love and to trust and to let your guard down only to be harmed. When when betrayal comes at the hands of a family member, it cuts even deeper. A parent, a sibling, a spouse, someone who's supposed to be trustworthy. Neglect is one thing, but when someone close to you maliciously is working to harm you, The cut is deep and often leaves a bitter soul in its wake. If you've suffered intentional harm from someone close to you, you know the sour pain of it, and probably even as I'm sharing this morning, those memories sort of flood back. Everything inside Joseph must have wanted to hate his family. How, after this level of of malicious pain and rejection, could he not be bitter? Then there's the betrayal he suffered a little later in his life to the military captain's wife. She, she wanted Joseph, and, and she couldn't have him. So rather than just letting things go and facing her own darkness, she decides to attack him and ruin his life. She lies about him, and she says, he tried to rape me. Now, to be falsely accused is a hollow victory. To do the right thing in the worst of times only to be accused of the wrong thing and have no one believe you is a very painful experience. Have have you ever been accused of something that you didn't do? That you you know how conflicting that is inside. You know how much pain that causes. What a painful loneliness it is. No matter what you say and no matter what you do, There will always be people who believe you're guilty. The court of public opinion is brutal. Imagine the stares at Joseph as he went by. Here this young guy is, foreigner, outsider. He's not even Egyptian. He doesn't belong here. He was a slave. Who does he think he is? What an idiot. You made a play on the captain's wife? Really? It's not like Joseph's life could get much worse. He's already been abandoned by his family. He's alone in the world. He's a slave. But he went from the frying pan to the fire. He went from being a slave to a prisoner. And I think we underestimate Joseph's suffering. You know, we read these short little verses in Genesis about Joseph's life, but they cover dramatic spans of time. For 13 years, Joseph was either a slave or a prisoner. For 13 years and and neither one of those conditions was his fault now I've never been put in prison but I have visited people in prison and I can tell you it is it is an unbelievable place it's a depressing place human beings are caged up like animals and they're behind layers of bars armed guards bulletproof glass the tension inside among the the community of inmates is absolutely unbelievable. The tension is so high. It is not a safe place. It is not safe emotionally. It is not safe mentally. It is not safe physically. It is a very intense place when those doors shut behind you and lock and you walk through layer after layer after layer of security and you're surrounded by all of this protection. It's an unbelievably tense place. Joseph has found himself in prison because of a lie that was told about him how could he not be bitter at this woman who caused so much pain in his life because of her own evil ways and then there's the cupbearer the cupbearer was the guy who was responsible for sort of screening all of the king's food and he was like an advisor to the king and he was very close to the king and He was one of the king's uh, personal assistants, one of Pharaoh's personal assistants. And somehow Pharaoh had gotten mad at him, put him in prison. That's how Joseph met him. Joseph uh, interprets a dream the cupbearer has. God gives Joseph the interpretation. He tells him the interpretation. And the interpretation is, hey, in three days you're going to get your job back. You're going to get out of prison. You're going to get your job back. Things are going to go back to the way they were. Life's going to be great for you. You're going to be back in the palace and all of this. And all Joseph asked was, when you get there, will you just tell Pharaoh that I'm innocent? Will you just tell him about me, that I didn't do anything wrong, that I've been lied about, that I, I didn't... You know me. Would you just tell him? <laughs> and, and the cupbearer forgets about Joseph for two years. <laughs> How many of you forget where you put stuff? You know what I mean? You, you forget something but like the next week, you remember. He forgot for two years. He forgot a human for two years. Now, I want you to see a trend. These aren't unfortunate circumstances. Joseph isn't just unlucky. All of Joseph's suffering is directly caused by people. This isn't circumstantial suffering This is suffering inflicted on him by other people. At this point, Joseph must hate people. Because all the greatest pains of his life have come from people. Have you ever met anybody that lost their faith in people? Boy, I have. There are reasons for that. (laughs) Have you ever felt that way? No one's trustworthy? And you begin to get cynical of everybody and question everybody's motives and question everybody's actions. And how did they mean that? And why did they say that? And what are they really up to? And you just lose your faith in humanity. And you can only feel that because someone hurt you. If someone didn't hurt you, you wouldn't feel that. Have you ever been in so much pain that you counted the hours and the minutes? It's like your soul died. And too often, the level of pain comes directly from other people. One of my all-time favorite books, top five books I've read in my life, is a book probably by a guy you never heard of and probably a story you've never heard of. Dr. John Hurston was a missionary, he and his wife Maxine, to Liberia. And they experience one of the greatest stories of God's Power and people coming to faith, people getting saved, thousands of people, people having physical miracles in their body, verifiable miracles. He was actually knighted by the, by the king of Liberia uh, he, because of his work. Uh, he, he went on a presidential tour uh, when, when the new president was elected in Liberia. He went on a tour with him. His, you know how we have an inaugural... His inaugural tour around Liberia, Dr. John Hurston, as a missionary from America, was there on the tour preaching. It's an unbelievable story what happened. But John Hurston and his wife experienced some unbelievable pain. When they were in Liberia, there was a young guy they reached out to. They, they took him in. They mentored him, they befriended him, he became like part of their family, his name was Amen. And once when John was away on a short trip, checking on some other missionaries, Amen broke into their house and raped John's wife. Unbelievable betrayal. They had spent hundreds of hours with this young guy, and he had just become like family. Their children called him Uncle Amen, because he was... Just family. And they took him in. And John talked about when he came back from the trip a few weeks later, his wife finally broke down and tell him what had happened and all of the pain and all the emotions. And John said in his book that his betrayal ran so deep through his soul. The pain was so bad. He said the night his wife told him what a man had done, he said he deserved to die. He told his wife he deserves to die. And he said everything in him wanted to find a man and kill him. Instead, it's an incredible story. Instead, they went on the long journey of forgiveness. And they recall in their book, The Painful Process, and John writes near the end of that chapter, we did not know it then. Listen to this. But the enemy was trying to use unforgiveness as a roadblock to our destiny in God. The name of the book is Divine Desperation. We did not know it then, but the enemy was trying to use unforgiveness as a roadblock to our destiny in God. They had mentored, and they had helped, and they had reached out. They had done all of this with this young guy, and now the violation... he says, we didn't know it then, but God, was, uh, but the, the devil was trying to roadblock our destiny in God. What was their destiny in God? Let me tell you what their destiny in God was. They moved from Liberia to South Korea. They mentored, he and his wife mentored, Paul young Cho and co-pastored Yodio Full Gospel Tabernacle in Seoul, South Korea, which is the largest church in world history. When John and his wife left South Korea, the church was about 250,000 people. Today, it's over 1 million people in one church. (laughs) Now, that was the destiny that the enemy was trying to roadblock. And John quotes this verse in this chapter, Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Listen to these words. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. John and Maxine Hurston had every right to be bitter. And Joseph had every right to be bitter. And maybe you have every right to be bitter. But they weren't. Now, how does that happen? There's only one cure for bitterness and pain. And it's forgiveness. There is no other cure. Forgiveness in the worst of circumstances. Only God can give you the grace to forgive. Only God. Only God can do this work. Only God heals. Genesis chapter fifty. 15 through 21, what I want to zero in on this morning now is the end of Joseph's story. You know, He's out of slavery. He's out of prison. He's now the second in command of um, Egypt. And the enemy was trying to use unforgiveness to roadblock Joseph's destiny. And here Joseph is, second in command, and his brothers have come back. And they've reconciled, and he told his brothers, I forgive you, but now their dad has died. And the brothers are wondering, did he just say that because our dad was alive and he didn't want our dad to know, now our dad's, dad's dead, what's going to happen? Here's what happens. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back? For all the wrongs we did to him. What if he throws us into slavery. Or or kills us. So they sent word to Joseph saying. Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers. The sins and the wrongs they committed. In treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants. Of the God of your father. When their message came to him. Joseph wept. Why did Joseph weep? Because he had already forgiven them. Verse 18, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You need to underline that sentence. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Satan intended to use unforgiveness as a roadblock to Joseph's destiny, and Satan intends to use unforgiveness in your life as a roadblock to your destiny. That's how he works. So if forgiveness is that important, if forgiveness is a single issue, has the ability to stop the plans of God and derail the plan that he has for your life, let's zero in on it this morning and talk about it for a few minutes. It must be pretty important. If you've got something to write with, let me just ask you to take these thoughts down. First off, what is forgiveness? I'm just going to bullet you with a lot of different thoughts. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. You did wrong to me, and you owe me. Forgiveness says, you did wrong to me, and you owe me. I release you from what you owe me. You owe me nothing. I will not try to get revenge. I will not try to get repayment. I will not try to equal the score. I will not try to get you back. I will not try to get get something from you later. I will not ever say, hey, remember that time? You owe me. Forgiveness is canceling the debt and saying, you don't owe me anything. Forgiveness is refusing to play God. This is a heavy one. Verse 21. Joseph says, am I in God's place? Are you kidding me? How could I withhold forgiveness from you after he forgave me? Am I, is it my job to enact justice on you? Is it my job to equal the score? Is it, no, 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 that's God's job. It's not my job. Am I in God's place? I'm not God. God forgave us, so we have to forgive those who hurt us. Otherwise, we're pretending that we never needed forgiveness ourselves. I promise you, whatever it is that somebody on earth has done to you, it is not as bad as what you've done to God. Amen. And He forgave you. <laughs> and therein lies the power to forgive. Because you've been forgiven. Forgiveness is finding freedom. You know, it's this crazy paradox to me. It's so illogical. But we've all felt it. We've all experienced it. It's a crazy paradox that someone else can inflict pain in your life and then you end up in bondage to the pain that someone else caused. Isn't that crazy? Totally innocent. You're innocent. You didn't do anything wrong. But you can become enslaved to the pain that someone else did to you. Years ago, there was a guy that wrote a book named Lewis Smead's it's a classic book. I'm sure it's out of print. My favorite quote on forgiveness ever comes from him, and I'll give you a little picture with it. He says, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. That's deep. Forgiveness is trusting God. Now, I'm going to give you a quote. You can write this down if you want, or a, a thought. We struggle to forgive the most when we trust God the least. Because forgiveness is a risk of faith that says, wait, 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 wait. If I let them go, who's going to hold them accountable for this? If I don't punish them, who's going to punish them? You know, if I don't get them back, if I don't return the same pain they gave to me, then how, how, how's this going to happen? Forgiveness is trusting God and saying, God, What you're telling me doesn't make sense to my my emotions, it doesn't make sense to my mind, it doesn't make sense to my thoughts and my feelings, but I trust you, I'm going to ignore my thoughts and feelings, and I'm going to do it your way. God, I'm trusting today that your way is better than my way, and your way is forgiveness, so I'm going to forgive. So it's trusting God. In order to forgive, we have to admit that God's way is better than our way. So that's what forgiveness is. Now let me give you a few things that forgiveness does not mean. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you're agreeing that what the person did is right. It's highly possible that what they did is very wrong. And it's not agreeing that what they did is right. It's not, that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not giving someone the right to hurt you in the same way again. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. You can have forgiveness without having reconciliation. Sometimes reconciliation is not possible, but forgiveness is absolutely necessary. Those are two different things. If you have a child that's been put in a circumstance where they've been wounded or hurt physically by an adult, you cannot give that adult the same opportunity to hurt them again in the name of forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. Boundaries have to be drawn. I love you, I forgive you, but I'm not going to let you do this again. So forgiveness is also not conditional. In other words, you can't say, if you change, I will forgive you. That's not forgiveness. That's negotiation. Those are two different things. So how do we forgive? How do we forgive? I'll give you three quick thoughts. Identify the hurt. You know, I don't know uh, if you've realized this, you probably have. When you become emotionally charged or wounded, it's hard after a while to figure out what the cause of it is. You're just wired, you're just a ball of emotions, and it's hard to tell. Like exactly, specifically, where did this come from? When did this start? And so it's very important that when you are hurt, you identify who did this, when did it happen, where did it happen, how did it happen, how did you get there? And John and Maxine's book, they walk through in that chapter, Divine Desperation, they walk through this painful process of this guy hurt us, this happened, and separating those things from all the other things in your life. Feel your feelings... Don't follow them. Here's the second thought. Reject the hook. Every one of us has the temptation when we're hurt to live in anger. And why? Why do we have the temptation to live in anger? Refusing to live in anger, or or I'm sorry, refusing to forgive gives us the feeling of power. But it's a deceptive and and it's a lying thing. We take the bait and we feel powerful, but it's a hook and it's a trap. Revenge and anger feel good for a little while because they make us feel strong. I'm strong. Why are you strong? Because I'm mad. How does that make you strong? Because nobody's ever going to hurt me like that again. I'm powerful. See how powerful I am? And we all feel that temptation when we're wounded and hurt. Nothing like this can ever happen to me again because we are angry and we are powerful and we are alert and we're at the wheel and we're in control. But it's a trap. And as Lewis Smead says, it's a prison. And one day you'll look around and you would realize you see nothing but bars. You've isolated yourself. This is where we have to make a choice to cancel the debt. You did wrong to me. But you don't owe me anything because I forgive you. Here's the third thing. Realize only God heals. Time, it's a lie. The cliche is a lie. Time does not heal. If time healed, there would be no bitter old people. Right? Right? And there are some. And I'll tell you how bitter old people become bitter old people. There are young people who are hurt that don't forgive. And the disease grows in their soul with them. Time doesn't heal. Distance doesn't heal. Because what you do is you pack it up in your suitcase and you move it with you. And you may live in the illusion for a while that I'm better because... What you actually do when you move too far away is you just live in denial. And one day, you're going to hit that thing like a brick wall 100 miles an hour again. That thing you thought's been gone has not gone. It's been buried. God heals because forgiveness is from Him. When you and I make the choice to forgive, God begins to heal us. Not just our emotions, but our soul. When, when we make the choice to agree with God and reach out to forgive, He gives us grace to forgive. We don't have the ability to forgive in our own strength because we don't have enough strength to forgive everything that's ever been done to us. Now this scene with Joseph and his brothers reminds me of the Last Supper. I've kind of given you each week a scene of Joseph's life that has some parallel in Jesus' life in the New Testament. This scene, where Jesus is I'm sorry, where Joseph is standing with his brothers, and there's this moment where Dad has died, and they say, "Do you mean it? We're your betrayers. Are you really going to forgive?" Joseph is surrounded by the people who almost killed him and wished evil on him, and in the midst of his betrayers, he forgives. My favorite passage in the New Testament that describes the communion story. In other words, just hours before Jesus is handed over to be beaten and and ultimately crucified, he gathers with his disciples in a private room and he shares communion. And I don't know why, every time I read the line, it gets me. It always gets me. Because... It starts like this. On the night Jesus was betrayed. Wow. In the worst of times, Jesus offered the greatest of work. On the night, not not a week later, not a year later, not after he had time to process it. In the exact same moment, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he took the bread and he said, this is for you. On the same night that his betrayer sat at the table and looked across in his eyes, the man who had walked with him and listened to his teaching and kept up with the money for the group of disciples, he was kind of the accountant of the group, the same guy that had walked and talked and shared all those nights, on the same night that his best friend betrayed him, Jesus offered the cup and the bread. The communion moment is Joseph's life and microcosm. It took Joseph a lifetime to live these things out. Jesus had all of it pressed in a few hours. On the night he was betrayed, (laughs) that line always kills me. Jesus is sitting with a man who'd be responsible for his death. And in the fire of betrayal, Jesus moves on with his father's plan and prepares to die so we could be forgiven. Jesus would not allow unforgiveness to roadblock his destiny in God. Forgiveness isn't natural, it's supernatural. Only God can give us the power to do it. I'm not sure any of us would even know what it was if Jesus didn't die on the cross. We would just wound and hurt and divide and separate and just cut each other to death. Just cut each other down. But but Jesus shows us forgiveness is not a human invention. We didn't come up with it. God had to show us. In the New Testament, there's this uh, incredible story of healing where there's these four guys who have a friend that's sick. Maybe you've heard this story. And they got him on a little, a little gurney, and they're trying to like, take him into where Jesus is because they've heard that Jesus heals people. And the house is just jammed where Jesus is teaching, and they can't get him in the room. And so they climb up on the roof, they tear a hole in the roof, and they lower the man down, I guess by ropes or something, uh, on this little gurney down where Jesus is teaching. And Jesus, you know, they have a sunroof all of a sudden. And Jesus says, what is this? And this guy comes down, and Jesus looks at the guy and he has compassion on him, and he says, take up your mat and walk. And he heals this guy. What a crazy story, just heals him. And you say, Did he heal him because of the desperation of his friends? Did he, you know, why did he heal him? I don't know, I don't know all of that, but I know what Jesus said after that. He said, I healed him so that you would know that I have the power to forgive sin. I healed him, or otherwise you would never believe that I had the power to forgive sin. And so what I just want to say to you this morning is God heals the body and the soul. Only God can heal. Only God can wash away inside and clean and bring freedom and forgive and empower you to forgive and to heal your body. And so this morning I want to ask the worship team if you would come. And I want us to spend a few minutes this morning... We're ending early because I want to spend a few minutes in prayer and in worship. So would you just stand with me this morning? Here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to ask our, um, our pastors that are prepared if you would come and our prayer team if you would come. Here's how we're going to do this this morning. To me, the communion table is the, um, it is the, the place. The, those of you on the prayer team, if you'll just kind of work your way in between those that are serving communion, just stretch out this way, please. The communion table is kind of the invitation of God to say, the power that you need, to have your sins forgiven the power that you need to forgive anyone who's hurt you and the power that you need for your body to be whole is at the sacrifice of Jesus it's at that place It's at that spot and so this morning I just believe that God is calling some of you to find healing and so if you're sick in your body of a physical sickness, I want you to come this morning and just receive communion. If you want to pray with someone, our prayer team is here. If you want to take communion, and then pray. Or if you just only want to pray, either way is fine. But as you come, I want you to receive the bread and the cup saying, This is Jesus' body and blood shed for me so that I might be whole. Some of you in the room have been blaming God mad at God because of some of the things that have happened in your life and although we we don't forgive God in the same way we do a person because God is perfect and can't do anything wrong sometimes in that idea of forgiveness we say God today I'm going to stop blaming you that's a moment of healing God I'm not going to blame you anymore I quit I give up I open the prison door and I'm gonna stop being mad at you about this. Help me to stop. So we're gonna just sing a whole worship song now. And the invitation is simply this for everybody. Let's sing together. For some of you I'm gonna stop blaming God. I need forgiveness. I need healing in my body. I need the power to forgive someone who's hurt me. And if we had more time, I would show you that's a whole process. So you don't have to say, I'm 100% done to come and receive communion. What you may say is, Lord, help me to take another step toward forgiveness. God, I depend on you today and I trust you. Lord, thank you for this moment. You are good. Your mercy is good. And we look to you today. You're the only one that can heal. So today we ask you, heal souls, heal bodies, heal minds. We come today, we eat and we drink and we receive forgiveness and grace and strength and power. In Jesus' name, the worship team begins to sing. At any point in the song, the invitation is open. Come and receive communion. Come and have somebody pray with you. Go ahead.
1: And I've heard a thousand stories of what they think your life but I a whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're to
0: or haven't taken the communion elements yet, would you just um, take the bread now and just receive in your body healing and forgiveness and strength and grace and power to do what Jesus wants you to do. Go ahead and take the bread. Lord, we receive this morning your sacrifice. We receive the broken body of Jesus. We receive healing and the power to forgive. And this morning, would you now... Just take the cup. Lord, today we receive forgiveness for our own sins. Today we receive the power of God to forgive those who've wounded us. Today we reach this cup up and trust you. Today we receive healing for disease and sickness in our body. We thank you for it. Would you receive the cup this morning? Drink it. Thank you. God is good. God is good. So the worship team sings that through one more time. If you need to be dismissed, you can be. If you want to stay and have somebody pray with you, we'd love to pray with you. God bless you.
1: You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are.